you could turn to Psalm 119, we'll begin reading at uh, verse 97. We've been singing all morning, and this is meant to be sung, but we're going to to read it. <clears throat> Psalm 119, beginning at verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Let's pray together. Father, we love your law. We love your word. And we pray that this morning would be a celebration of your grace and your word. And this day would be a day centered around your word. Be with us now for a few minutes as we look at this great psalm. And I pray that you would increase our joy in Christ's name. Amen. So my purpose uh, this morning is to point you to the greatest joy in this life knowing God through Scripture. Now imagine you're going to a feast and we're driving together and we're passing uh, McDonald's, passing candy stores, Taco Bell, and we're getting ready to have a feast. Now in my mind, it would be like Indian food, curry, steaming pots of curry, or it could be Lebanese food, but maybe for you it's steak and potatoes. That's what this is. We're not stopping, though, at a temporary, ephemeral, passing delight, but into something more substantial, weighty, significant, and lasting. And no physical meal could ever satisfy like that. So we're going to look at the love that the author has for Scripture. And uh, I thought of the things that we would love, and it would probably, for most of us, it would probably be money. So I looked at some examples of people that won money in lottery. And I'm going to start with the lowest amount and go to the highest. Lowest amount was $1.3 million. Uh, this is in 1997. Uh, Denise Rossi found she won the lottery, and she divorced her husband right away. And uh, everything was fine until... A little bit later, he got 
a letter in the mail that said something about winning the lottery. And he had no idea. He loved his wife and just couldn't understand it. So we went, we went to court, and the judge discovered that uh, she did not disclose that and gave the $1.3 million to the husband. Uh, $16.2 billion, this is William Budd. This is in um, Pennsylvania. Didn't go real well with him. Uh, his girlfriend asked him for a share of the money, didn't get it, sued him. His brother hired a hitman uh, to kill him, and uh, he filed for bankruptcy, and he was a million dollars in debt after having 16.2. Uh, Jeanette Lee, I'm not sure I pronounced that right, she's a, a South Korean, uh, she won 18 million, and uh, she later sold all her rights and wanted the lump sum, and uh, 10 years later, when she was 60, she fell for bankruptcy. She was $2.5 million in debt. But maybe this is the best one. Uh, Abraham Shakespeare in 2006, $30 million in the Florida lottery. He wasn't a very wealthy person at all, and uh, he complained. He said, I wish I was broke because everybody I know wants money from me. And uh, after he won the money, he uh, acquired a girlfriend, uh, Didi. Didi shot him twice and buried him under a cement slab. She was found guilty later. But you look at that, and maybe they should have loved something or someone more than money. In Psalm 72, the psalmist says, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. What a difference. So because the Bible is God, God's word, the psalmist uh, says something about the psalms that we're going to look at. And I believe you can say we should say this about the Bible as we read it. I love verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Don't you just love that? He, you know, we would give some kind of a definition of the Bible, and he just says, I just love your law. So that's the first, is loving God's law. That's what the psalmist said, and, and we should. It's just delighting in the Bible. And everything that we're going to look at all comes from the fact that the Bible is God's Word. B.B. Warfield, uh, a professor at Princeton, he wrote an article that just sums it up. He says, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. And that was really the title of this article. And I think that's the understanding that, that we have. These are some of the things he says. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will delight in your statutes. And by the way, I'm not going to list all the verses um, because it would, I think, slow us down. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. He's just overflowing with love for God's word. Uh, 
Jonathan Edwards in the 1700s, he was in the middle of revival, different revivals. It wasn't just one, it was episodic revivals. And he had the ability to be in the midst of the revival and then remove himself and, and write about the revival. And one of my favorite quotes that he said, and you probably need to think about this, but he was criticized because during the revival there were really emotional excess. A lot of people showed a lot of emotion. One time he was preaching and he had to tell them to quiet down because he wanted to finish the sermon. He said this, I should think myself in the way of my duty to raise the affections of my hearers as high as I possibly can, provided they are affected with nothing but the truth and with affections that are not disagreeable to the nature of what they are affected with. And when I read Psalm 119, I think of the little billows I have in my fireplace. If the fire isn't going real well, I can just use those billows and just pour uh, oxygen into that fire. He says, Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. Just, you ever felt that way? But I long for the Bible. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love. I delight in your law. And as we read, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. For your law is my delight. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Here's another one from Edwards when he talks. He wrote a diary all his life, and he wrote about the Bible, what it meant to him. And I think, you can, I think this will make sense to you if you're a Bible reader. I had then, and at other times, the greatest delight in the Holy Scriptures of any book whatsoever. Oftentimes in reading it, every word seemed to touch my heart. I felt a harmony between something in my heart and those sweet and powerful words. I seemed often to see so much light exhibited by every sentence and such a refreshing food communicated that I could not get along in reading, often dwelling long on one sentence to see the wonders contained in it. And yet almost every sentence seemed to be full of wonders. I hope you've had that experience. So, because the Bible is God's Word, He delights in His Word. And yet, it's interesting, with the Bible, we ask the author of the Bible to help us understand the Bible. We don't think that we can understand it on our own. And I get this out of uh, verse 108. Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. The psalmist is always asking for help. He doesn't just uh, praise God for it. And by the way, there's only four verses that are not directed to God in this uh, long psalm. 
but he's, he's always asking God to help him. Teach me your statutes, he says. Give me understanding that I may know my testimonies. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Make me understand the way of your precepts. He's he's saying, I can't understand it unless you open my eyes, unless you help me. There isn't a book like that. I mean, maybe you've read chemistry and philosophy and you said, I don't know what this means. And you go to someone else to ask you for it. But but there's not a book that you say, oh God, help me understand this, like this book. Because he is the author, and we go to the author to ask him for help. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Incline my heart to your statutes. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. And really, this is what when the author says that the, the Bible is a lamp and a light, that's what he's saying. He needs the light of God. I can't understand the words of God unless I ask for God's help. And it seems like this is what you find in the New Testament. The, the enemies of Christ knew the Bible. In fact, sometimes they could quote it. But they didn't understand the intent of it. They were totally lost as far as what it, what it meant. Let me read one other uh, quote from Richard Baxter. It is not the work of the Spirit to tell you the meaning of Scripture and give you the knowledge of divinity without your own study and labor, but to bless that study and give you knowledge thereby. To reject study on pretense of the sufficiency of the Spirit, is to reject the Scripture itself. So he loved the Scripture. He asked for understanding. But there's a reason he asked for understanding. He wanted to obey it. It wasn't just that he liked literature. It wasn't that he just liked words. I mean, some if you read some authors and you hear them talk about writing, they really like words, and they like the play of words, they like the sound of words. If you, if you listen to someone who's a poet, they really enjoy language. That's not what it is here. I have sworn an oath in verse 106 and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. He's making a promise that he will obey the Scriptures. He's not just saying, oh, I just love learning about God. It's a a theological thing. It's just a fascination. No, he is saying, I want to know the Bible because I want to obey you. You have given this word to me, and I want to obey you. The work of the Spirit is not to tell us what the Bible means. That we must de- that we must determine by a disciplined study of the text. The Spirit inspired these writings, <clears throat> and He does not short-circuit them by whispering in our ear what they mean. When we pray for His help, we do not pray that He will spare us the hard work of rigorous reading and reflection. When we pray... It is that he would make us humble enough to welcome the truth. The work of the Spirit in helping us grasp the meaning of the Bible is not to make study unnecessary, 
but to make us radically open to receive what our study turns up instead of twisting the text to justify our unwillingness to accept it. That's John Piper. So that's what the, the author is saying. I want to obey. I'm leaning into obedience. I, I don't want just to hear your words. I want to obey. We're always asking for God to help. It says, uh, we want help to understand and to apply His Word. In verse 2 and 10, I will seek Him with my whole heart. And he talks about commanding your precepts to be kept diligently. It's not a passive acquaintance with the Scripture for the psalmist. He doesn't just say, yeah, I like going on, I like going to the temple. It's really a nice, uh, nice day for me. Just listen. Words are nice. No. My eyes are fixed on all your commandments. He says, I've stored your word in my heart. And why does he say that? So that I may not sin against you. He looks at the Scripture in a God-centered way because the Scriptures are what God is, is God's Word, and it's Him communicating to us. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your words. I thought this was telling. R.C. Sproul said, I argue that the primary reason we misinterpret the Bible is not because the Holy Spirit has failed to do His work, but because we have failed to do ours. We need to study and we need to obey. I cling to your testimonies, he says. I observe it with my whole heart. I will keep your law continually forever and ever. I promise to keep your words. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Just think if we were singing that, uh, singing the Psalms regularly, what that would do to you. And you need to read this Psalm. You need to read all of them, but you need to read this one and to apply yourself. When it comes to growth and godliness, trusting does not put an end to trying. That is from Kevin DeYoung. A true sense of the divine excellency of the things revealed in the Word of God and a conviction of the truth and reality of them thence arising. The spiritual uh, light reveals no new doctrine. It suggests no new propositions to the mind. It teaches no new things of God or Christ or of another world not taught in the Bible, but only gives a due, appreciate, a due apprehension of those things that are taught in the Word of God. That's also Edwards. So what they're trying to say is when you rely on the Spirit, you're not asking for something to be added that's not in the Scripture. The Spirit comes in and says, this is what's here, and I'm not going to twist it. I'm not going to say, that's too hard for me, I'll twist it. What the Scripture says, I'm going to obey. I first need to understand it, and I can't understand it without the Holy Spirit. But then when I understand it, I'm going to be swift to obey. So the psalmist loves the law. He 
pleads for understanding, and he, he strives to obey. And then one final thing that you'll see in verse 105. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Uh, my Sunday school class, we discussed hating sin and if you can hate sinners. And we had a very good discussion on that. It, it seems to me that the more you love God, the more you will hate sin. If you love God, you will not be indifferent to sin. No, especially your own. I'm not talking about you looking at someone else's sin and not your own, but it it starts with you. But if you amp up your love to God, and hopefully you love God now more than you did a month ago, you will hate sin. And I think the converse would be true. If your love of God is going down, your hatred of sin will go down as well. Well, You'll find ways that, after all, I do that because. Well, I know it's not right, but that's just the way I am. Not if you really love God. John Flavel said this, Oh, cursed sin, it was you who slew my dear Lord. For your sake he underwent all this. If your vileness had not been so great, his sufferings had not been so many. Cursed sin, you were the knife which stabbed him, you the sword which pierced him. Now, I think if you say that in a way that it's not your sin, you've missed the point. But he's, he's saying, it is my sin that did this. And it's interesting that you see this uh, aspect of hating sin throughout the Bible. You see it in the Psalms, but it's throughout the Bible. And we need God's Spirit to direct us in the things that we should love and the things that we should hate. Because our, our affections, our desires are turned upside down. And so we need to be told what to love and also what to hate. And God hates sin. He is not indifferent to sin. Psalm 97 says, All you who love the Lord hate evil. And, and isn't that what you would expect? If you see as God, if you see God as loving, wise, righteous, perfect, infinite, giving, sovereign, you would have an emotional response to those who despise him. That's why the psalmist says, I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. I was thinking of this because uh, most parents, I mean, when our kids were young, we told them, you know, if they said, I hate you, we would say, don't, don't use that word. And it was almost like a swear word in our home. It's not in the Bible. There's a lot of, of uses of the word hate in the Bible. How indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. 
You spurn all who go astray from your statutes. I hate the double-minded. My eyes shed tear, uh, streams of tears because people do not keep your law. They forget your words. They are far from your law. I look at the faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commandments. They do not seek out your statutes. I hate and abhor falsehood. Jerry Bridges said this, which I think is what I'm trying to express. As we grow in holiness, we grow in hatred of sin. And God, being infinitely holy, has an infinite hatred of sin. You must hate sin. You cannot be indifferent to it. Boston said, A holy man knows that all sin strikes at the holiness of God, the glory of God, the nature of God, the being of God, and the law of God. And therefore, his heart rises against all. He looks upon every sin as the scribes and Pharisees that accuse Christ, and as that Judas that betrayed Christ, and as that Pilate that condemned Christ, and all those soldiers that scourged Christ, and as those spears that pierced Christ. Now that may sound harsh to you. It may sound like, I don't know about that. But when God speaks, everyone should be quiet and listen. And when God speaks, everyone should be ready to obey. He is worthy of prompt and heartfelt obedience. No one should be indifferent. No one should close their eyes. He is the sovereign of every nation. And so when the psalmist feels hot indignation, it's not just because he's an emotional person, but he cares so deeply about God's word, about God's kingdom. That's where his heart is. How can a sovereign rule unless his subjects obey? So, of course, you know, we're not supposed to despise sinful people. But we object to the spiritual bondage they're under and also the fact that they're opposing God's kingdom. Think of this if you are slightly indifferent to sin. Throughout Scripture, God is seen as a faithful, devoted husband who is intensely jealous for an exclusive relationship with his wife. The next time you sin, picture your husband, this is written by Nancy DeMoss, a woman, locked in a passionate embrace with a woman he met over the internet. Try to feel the intensity of the shock, the rejection, the pain, the anger, that would swell up from the innermost part of your being upon discovering the truth. Then realize that that is what experience would be, just a minuscule glimpse of the way God feels about our sin. So let's think about this. There's no one that fulfills this but Christ. Christ loved the law. Just think, you, you may say, that you love the Bible. I would say that. But I don't love it enough to obey it every single day of my life. 
Christ loved the Bible so much that he obeyed it every single day of his life. He never sinned. That's loving the Bible. So I want to urge you on a few things. First, I want to encourage you to spend more time in the Bible. And I want to talk to men who are not readers, teens and children. Uh, We need to linger in the Bible. We need to soak in it. But we need to spend time in the Bible. There's just no excuse and there's no substitute for not spending time in the Bible. Now for men, uh, most men are not readers. Uh, I used to have men come in my office and I had my books behind me. And I, I mean, I know what they're thinking. Like, you read all those books? You know, no. Some of my reference, I don't read them all. But they're just not readers. Many of you men, you're, you're not readers. However, you need to spend time with your nose in that book. You have to do that. You have to read. You don't have to read hours and hours at a time. You can break it up. You need to figure out a way that you are reading the Scripture. You just have to do it. Find a way to do it. If anybody ever says to me, I don't have time to read the Bible, I say, it's the Lord's day, not the Lord's hour. This day is set aside for God. You have time. You have time to read. Now, teens, you're not out of this either. You have a lot of time. Oh, I know, I know, I don't understand. But you have a lot of time. And you need to be reading the Bible because you are learning so many new things. And what I find with teens or younger adults, that they have grown intellectually, but their scripture knowledge, their knowledge of the faith is back in the third grade. And they're rejecting that faith. Well, yes, so, so do we all. We reject what we learned when we were a child because we grew. But you need to be reading the Bible yourself. Not, not that your family reads the Bible. You need to read the Bible. And children, it's the same way. You need to be reading that. As soon as you can read, you need to know it. I'll tell you this. The, the, the men and women that are powerful in God's Word, they learned it from an early age. There are very few adults that give because they started in their 40s. Most people that give financially started when they were very young. And most people that know the Bible, they started very young. Children, you are worshipers. God created you to worship. You need to worship. And reading the Bible is key in that. And people say they don't have time. I think, really? You really do not have time to read the Bible. I... I don't believe it. Just one last thing about Sunday. So, both Sunday school and Sunday night, we don't have a lot of people. I mean, we know that's average. But I'm not asking you to be average. 
If you don't read the Bible and you don't know about the Bible, we have classes for adults before church. It just warms you up for church. It's like preheating an oven. I do not like not having Sunday school before church. I feel like I'm cold and I'm just coming in. It's, I don't know. But I've done this all my life. So it's different. I mean, maybe you never went to church, bef- uh, went to Sunday school before church. But then at night, at night, some of us come here at six o'clock. The earliest person that leaves, leaves about 7.30. And you know what we're doing? We're reading the Bible. We're talking about the Bible, studying the Bible. This place right here can help you with this. We're dedicated to that so you will know Christ. Read it spiritually. Read it slowly. Pray over it. Meditate. Chew on it. Memorize it. Most of all, find Christ in Scripture. Don't just... You know, we have a cartographer in our church, which I think is kind of cool. I like maps and like knowing where the cities are. But reading the Bible is not about that. Reading the Bible is finding Christ, knowing Christ, loving Christ. So read the Bible spiritually. And the first verse that we read is, Oh, how I love your law. It's not just a, I love your law. But the way I feel about my wife is not, I love my wife. I love my wife. Oh, how I love my wife. And, and so when you read it, read it to increase your joy. Don't just read it, but read it to be happy. Go for all the joy you can possibly get. We have a lot of people that uh, teach they prepare uh, teaching. You know what the best part of preparing for teaching or sermon is? The preparation. It is, anybody that teaches will tell you that. Well, I think. It's the best. And finally, with, with hating sin, we'll go over this quick. I think this is the perfect segue of going into the Lord's Supper. God hates sin so very much that He gave His only Son to bear the punishment of that sin. And because of that, we're going to end this service with everyone who is a believer. I'll raise my hand, and in essence, I'm saying, you are at peace with God. I would not do that with people in the world because they are not at peace with God. But if you believe in Christ, He hated sin so much, He took all the anger and wrath, poured it on His Son, and now He says, you're my children. I love you. That's pretty amazing. Let's pray together. Father, uh, we do... Thank you for your word. We, we admit that we don't read it as much as we should. We admit we are bored of it. Sometimes we want to read other things. And, and there are other things to read. We can't just read the Bible all the time. But many of us could do better. And we could learn to love you by reading the Scripture. So Lord, 
we need help internally. And that's why we're singing this next song. We, it's not just something that we do because we are going to be a better person, but we need the Holy Spirit working inside of us to melt us and to love you. So Lord, we pray that your Spirit would help us as we sing this next song and prepare for the Lord's Supper. We pray this in Christ.